Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy of the Evans Journal's Cult of Hockey. And I'm here today with my COH colleague, Kurt Levins. Hello, Kurt. Hey, Bruce. Happy 16 in a row. Happy 16 in a row. Holy man. <laughs> Don't think we would have said that uh, back in the first quarter of the year. <laughs> well, yeah, I said something along the effect of all they need to dig out of this hole is a 10-game winning streak. You know, and I, and I thought that's not impossible. You know, they got the talent to roll yeah. off a few games. But 16 is kind of, whoa. Yeah, 50% we are. that real bonus, right? Yeah. Here we are. Yeah, 4-1 win. That's the same kind of general score that we've been seeing for weeks now. Yeah. I thought and this was their toughest competition in some yep. time. I thought Nashville played really well. Nashville played hard, and they played hard for basically 60 minutes. And I honestly thought Philip Forsberg was the best skater on the ice and was one of the finest games we've seen from an opponent. Agree, he had nine Very shots. Long time. Now, 14 shot attempts, but passing, setting up plays. If we were counting contributions to grade-A shots by Nashville, he would have been in on a midful of them. And, yeah, uh, he'll, he'll see Stuart Skinner in his uh, in his sleep tonight. Yeah. Yeah, if he does sleep. <laughs> so anyway, uh, away we go. Two good things, two bad things, two numbers, and one conundrum. And I'm going to have to think up the conundrum because it's hard to have too many conundra when you've won 16 in a row. But but here we are. Anyway, let's start with the good things as usual. And Kurt, uh, you go ahead. Well, I'm going to start off uh, excluding the obvious, which is the 16 in a row. Right. Um, I, I think a huge key in the 16-game run has been the historic success, I think we can say that, or at least in recent history, the success of Edmonton's penalty kill. Um, yeah. It has been just tremendous as of late. They've only allowed one in almost 40 chances, yeah. um, and they were a perfect 0-3 tonight. Mm-hmm. But I want to pick up one player in particular because I think he exemplifies What's going on? A lot of people, when they talk about special teams, in particular about penalty killing, they'll talk about X's and O's and 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 what sort of setup you you have in the defensive zone, uh, and 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 how you kind of rotate your top two forwards and that X's and O's thing. I get that, and it, I certainly look at it and consider it as well. But you know, years ago, a really wise old coach of mine said, you know, Kurt, when it comes down to it. What makes you successful on the penalty kill is your willingness to work hard and commit. Um, and I think the among the many good penalty killers on the Oilers, I think the one guy who is obviously game in, game out, PK shift in, PK shift out, willing to work hard and commit is Vincent DeHarnay. Um, here's a guy who, through sheer will, uh, made it to the NHL and now seemingly through sheer will is cementing his spot on this roster, not in, in no small part to his tremendous work on the PK. Um, and as we mentioned, the PK was a perfect over three tonight. Vinny played three twelve of, of that time. So a big chunk of it. And in particular of the many big and little plays that he made, I want to, to pick the rolling barrel block in the slot <laughs> on that PK in, in the second period 
which I, I, we often kind of speak to our strengths based on, on where we played. And I know you're, you were a goaltender when you were young, I was a defenseman. Um, and for anybody who doesn't understand it, the guts that it takes um, to make that particular play, because you don't know a, if you're going to get the puck B, if you do, you don't know where you're going to get the puck and C, you don't know what else is going to hit you while you're down there. You are exposed to yeah. all sorts of dangers. It takes an incredible amount of intestinal fortitude to make that play, let alone have the timing perfect. No. Um, and it just, what was great, and what I, what I love about, uh, I love many things about working at the Cult of Hockey, but one thing in particular is the passion and the intelligence of Edmonton Oilers fans. And I often think that when I watch a game at the Bell Centre in Montreal, the fans there are so smart. You know, they're really great hockey fans. Well, I feel the same thing about, about the overwhelming majority of fans that show up at, at Rogers' place, a game in and game out. And after DeHarnier made that rolling block in the slot, there was a huge ovation from the crowd. Um, you know, it doesn't take much to recognize a great offensive play and, and, and applaud that. But I thought it was terrific that the whole crowd picked up on that gutsy play by Vinny and paid tribute to him uh, for it. So um, the PK has been a big story in the 16-game win streak. Um, but the hard work and commitment and sheer will of the PK crew uh, has played an immense part of it. And I think Vincent DeHarnier is just one shining example of why it has been so good as of late. Yeah, yeah, he showed lots of courage on that play. I mean, you're talking about taking one for the team. Well, I think he took a few. He did, yeah. It was, uh, you know, once he slid out and made the block and the puck was underneath him and it looked like there were skates and sticks and everything kind of flashing away at him, trying to spear the puck free, you know, or whatever. And and uh, uh, at that point, of course, he's he's already sold out, so he's just got to kind of hunker down and take the punishment, but take it he did and... Uh, that was a, a, a standout defensive play. Uh, Oilers had four, uh, Nashville had six minutes on the penalty uh, power play today, and four Oilers played over three minutes, over half of the time. Uh, they were Matthias Ekholm, uh, DeHarnay, uh, Matthias Janmar, Connor Brown, and all four of them were on the ice for just one shot by huh. Nashville in, in <laughs> over three minutes of four versus five, which is excellent. Uh, they... Uh, uh, I mean, those aren't your most heralded players. I mean, Ekholm certainly is, but uh, they're not, uh, you know, they're they're meat and potatoes grinders, the other guys, but uh, they earn their living on the penalty kill. And they and the other penalty killers, to be fair, because Edmonton, as you say, is something close to 39 out of 40 now. It's some ridiculous long streak where they've only given in one power play goal. And today, special teams were the difference. Edmonton's power play scored twice on their three chances, and this essentially was a two-goal win by Edmonton, you know, with the empty netter at the end. But the the uh, difference was the two power plays or the two, you know, the special teams was the advantage in a game that was one-to-one at five-on-five. Five. Yeah, I it's uh, smart of you to pick out those four players. I'll note that of the three of the four of them, echo them aside, DeHarnay is your, your, is your third pairing D-man, and the other mm -hmm. two forwards are fourth liners. Yep. So it's the guys that are that relatively low down the lineup having mm -hmm. that big of an impact on a really important game. 
Right. And the question came up today about, well, and it will come up again, who who should uh, Corey Perry replace in the lineup? I mean, you and I had this discussion as our conundrum last podcast, and Perry replaced, in the end, Sam Gagne, who, like Perry, is basically a five-on-five, five, uh, you know, bottom, bottom six player uh, with a little bit of chance maybe on the second power play, but he's not a penalty killer. Yeah. And the other choices were to take out someone like Brown or Yanmark. Well, from this distance, I'm glad they didn't, because yeah. those guys, uh, those guys really, uh, really helped in uh, uh, in uh, providing the victory today. Well, and you know, competition's a great thing. Internal competition. Oh yeah. And you and you think about those if if those four forwards are in some kind of rotation, there's all kinds of incentive to leave it all out there because. Yeah. They're, they're thinking in the back of their minds, this other guy's going to get cycled in and I don't want to be the guy to get cycled out. So I really yeah. help think it really helps make your whole team better. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing that makes any team better is fantastic goaltending. And that will be my good thing from this game. It's yet another wonderful performance by Stu Skinner. And this was close to a stolen win uh, by the Oilers. Uh, this is a game where Nashville uh, outshot the Oilers uh, 29 to 21, and where Nashville um, had, uh, according to uh, uh, Natural Statric, in all situations, 14 high danger chances to six, and by expected goals. Nashville 3.5, Edmonton 3.1. So Nashville was expecting, well, out of the 3.5 expected goals, they got one goal. They dinged a couple of posts, and Skinner made a number of, I thought, sensational saves. And, I mean, he made a save off of, was it Evangelista in the slot oh, with his that, blocker? It was incredible. It, it was like a four-way passing play. Right? He had no clue how that didn't go uh -huh. It was a four-way passing plan. It was like one touch from from high on the left side to low, lower on the right side to behind the net to right in the slot to one time slam it into the far top corner. And somehow Skinner was able to track it across and just get a piece of it and put it up into the netting. And I was just gobsmacked by that one. And there was another fairly similar play in the second period where Ryan O'Reilly won yet another battle and made a centering pass across to Ryan McDonough, and he did not miss from the left circle. He got it right up and under the bar, and Skinner had to come all the way over and and get a piece of that one, again, deflected up high and out of play. Well, McDonough's shot was under the crossbar until Skinner got a piece of it. And, yep, he did. And, and he basically had to come all the way over on that. And if there was one criticism of Stu early in the season, well, there was a few, uh, but if there was one that was pretty persistent, it was his slowness on side to side, tracking pucks. Well, whatever problem that was is no longer a problem because he seems to be getting over and, and uh, even on, you know, cross the Royal Road passes and one-time shots, and he just doesn't seem to get beaten across the net anymore. So fantastic uh, by him. And he stopped... Uh, 28 out of 29, actually got 29 this time after. That's actually the most shots the Oilers have faced in uh, uh, 10 games, I think. I think it's 10 games ago that somebody got 30 on them. 
and otherwise you know otherwise it's consistently in the mid to high 20s but it's you know the orders are doing a pretty good job of shot suppression but in the third period today it was 13 to 6 for nashville and there was none of this edmonton shutting her down for the last 10 minutes like we've been seeing this was nashville bringing it and edmonton uh you know challenged to keep the puck out of their net and reliant on their big stopper to make the big stops and well, he he did it consistently and he finally was beaten on a kind of a broken play where the puck popped around and it was whacked right out of midair uh, it was officially scored as an eight foot bat shot by uh uh colton sissons who whacked it in and just and i think he even bounced it off the ice and then over skinner's pad it was just one that was you know there was no time to react you just try and block as much net as possible and unfortunately that time he found the net but uh Stu skinner man oh man if he's uh he's got to be very high very high on the nhl's list of three stars of the month i'll be shocked if he's not one of them yeah a few thoughts on 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 skinner i agree with all that i thought he was named the game's first star and i i thought oh, good i thought he was the best overall player in the game uh mm-hmm. so that matches funny you know it, it's it's his 12th consecutive victory but it gets overshadowed because the team's won 16. <laughs> hmm. um Makes you wonder if there are any injuries if he gets a last-minute phone call for the All-Star game because he sure earned it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Cam Talbot, who I have all the time in the world for Cam Talbot and how he how he performed and conducted himself in Edmonton. But Cam's going to the All-Star game having lost 10 in a row. Wow. So it would be interesting to see. It's if not Demko, eh? Yeah, yeah, right? So, uh, huh. so, so it, it'll be interesting to see if anything transpires there. Um I'll say this because it's a good pickup about Skinner being seemingly quicker and sharper post to post. Um, I wonder if a little bit of credit is due to Calvin Pickard here, because it would have been very easy to to play Stuart Skinner um, last game because, you know, they're not back to back games. He would have had adequate. Right. But when you can put your back up in and get a win from him like Edmonton did, your number one guy gets to sit and rest and recharge. Maybe that's one of any number of reasons why he is a little quicker post to post is because he's getting rest when he needs it. Yeah, well, I'm just doing the math. Just for the month of January, which doesn't include the shutout at San Jose after Christmas or the shootout win at L.A. In January, 9-0-0, and with uh, 12 goals against in nine games, so that's like 133 goals against, and a 9.53 save percentage. That has to be the best in the NHL over that stretch. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it has to be. Yeah. So, and and since Christmas, if you did it that way, it would be even slightly better because he gave in two goals and 53 shots in the two games in California right after Christmas, so... That's, you know, that's even higher than 953, believe it or not. So he's just been on fire. It's and pretty cool when you agree the best player of the team was your goaltender when Connor McDavid got four points, <laughs> right? Did they did they award him the assist on the – oh, they did. Okay. They I, did. I looked at that replay over and over again. I thought, geez, Connor got that puck. I'm sure he – like he yeah. was battling hard with O'Reilly, who is as tough a battle as there is in the league no in terms of board battles or, you know, puck battles. And – I thought 
like I was watching it live and I thought, oh, Connor got the better of him and shifted up the boards. And then they originally scored it just just Hyman from dry saddle. But uh, yeah, they added it at about five minutes before you and I came on. So. Right. OK, well, that's good. I, I mean, I in our color hockey um, grade A shots project, I awarded McDavid uh, a positive for winning the battle there. Yeah. Whether, you know, he, whether he touched the puck or not, you know, he forced, uh, you know, a puck to go in a, in a good direction for Edmonton. And I'm glad to see they awarded it. So just as an aside here, in the last two games since uh, 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 Coach Knobloch decided to reunite the uh, the power duo or trio, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, Edmonton scored seven goals. McDavid's had seven points and Drysaddle's had six. So I guess you can criticize him for taking away all the offense from the other lines, or you can say this was maybe the right time to be going back to that old favorite. And they, you know, now they can all take a break for a while. And uh, and who knows, you know, they could come out with entirely new lines after the after the rest here. It's really hard to say how they'll play that but uh i wouldn't be uh, surprised if uh leon is back on 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 his own line against vegas yeah yeah and well that's going to be the next game kurt i know How, going for the do. nhl record they're yes. going to be coming off a nine-day layoff on a road game at the stanley cup champions who also beat edmonton in the playoffs last year yeah. how's that for a mountain of a challenge that's not pretty good doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> So what I don't know yet is whether Vegas's break is before the All-Star uh, game or uh, or after. But, no, it has to be before, I guess, because uh, this game is right after the All-Star game, now that I think about it. So they, both teams will be coming off layoffs, I expect. Yeah. Anyways, it's uh, uh, that's in the future. Uh, in the present, we have to return to back to this afternoon's game and each pick a bad thing. You go first while I think of what my bad thing is. Well, it's funny, you know, we had this conversation last game too, Bruce. It's difficult to pick out bad things when your team has won 16 in a row. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so what I'll do tonight is I'll kind of fold two things into one. Uh, the 3-1 goal, um, it was pure unlucky that Matthias Ekholm lost his stick on that play, and that was a factor yeah. on that sequence. Um, mm-hmm. Fact of yes, the matter is, uh, what's that? Yes, it was a factor. Yeah. Yeah, um, but the fact of the matter was Ryan Nugent Hopkins did have the puck on his stick along the wall, and I thought had had just enough time and space that a, a quick backhand off the boards or off the glass, it would have been out. Now, yeah. I'm quick to say I understand that what we see up in the press box or what's televised is different than what the player on the ice sees. Um, it's way easier for us. We can see things developing. We have a better sense of how much time or space there is. So he probably wasn't aware of that. But he just held onto that puck a split second too long, and it ended up costing them. Um, mm-hmm. That trio in the second line didn't have a great night tonight, uh, particularly five and five, actually. They were kind they of rather, rather badly. Uh, mm-hmm. They're five and five CF for Fogel, Nugent, Hopkins, and Kane. In seven twenty-eight of five and five play was three and fifteen for <laughs> mm. for just under seventeen percent, and scoring chances for and against were one four and six against. Um, so um, I I could count two or three 
excellent defensive plays that Ryan Nugent Hopkins made in that in that game, particularly below his own blue line. I thought he was really committed defensively and was solid there. Um, but the one mistake he did make ended up in the back of the net. And that first line, that sorry, that second line on this night just happened to be the Oilers' uh, fourth line in terms of productivity. Yeah, yeah, they had uh, uh, they had their hands full out there tonight. Now I want to just check Nuge's opponents. And yeah, he got a belly full of Philip Forsberg as well at the, in the five-on-five play, uh, five minutes and four seconds. But also, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, four minutes against O'Reilly, zero shot attempts, four, six against. And, you know, they were uh, they were on the back foot uh, for a lot of time. I, I didn't think, I thought Fogel had sort of a so-so game. And and Kane was all right, but you know not really generating much. He did yeah. he did Kane did a better job than he sometimes does at getting the puck out of his own end, yeah. which is a weakness of his in my view a, a lot of nights, but yeah. not particularly tonight. At least it's not specific to Kane. Well, with but, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, you know I I do think it's 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 a great tool that you can put him at center ice, and he's played hundreds of NHL games there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that Ryan Nugent Hopkins is is either a first line left wing or a third line center in the NHL. Um, uh, I I just don't think he's not the team's second best center. He might not be their third best center the way Ryan McLeod's playing these days. Um, and so that's kind of why I think when Nashville, sorry, when Vegas comes around, I think Leon's going to be back at center because I just think they're a better team. Uh, when when they go um, uh, McDavid, Drysital, um, and and Ryan McLeod. So. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to pick for my marginally bad thing. Uh, I thought Darnell Nurse had a, had his struggles defensively in this game, and by my preliminary count, which uh, uh, Davis Davis will review all this uh, in due course. Uh, that he was dinged for six grade A shots by uh, where he was, you know, one of the players directly beaten on uh, on six grade A shots, and not big mistakes. Just they were just slightly quicker than him, and they were getting the puck around or getting the shots through. You know, we had a loud pass, a loud shot, a loud pass, a loud pass. Nothing, you know, nothing like uh, missed assignment. Or you know, bonehead play. We don't have we don't have a code like for that, but we should. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he there was you know he just got beat uh, by the quickness of again a lot of it was Forsberg and O'Reilly who uh, um, you know they beat a lot of guys. That's what they do. And so I just thought it wasn't like his A plus game, and still he got the job done on the on the penalty kill. Other than that one time he was in the box for hooking O'Reilly. And one play that I really didn't like was uh, when it was 3-1 and Edmonton had a great chance, uh, dry settled to Hyman. And then on the continuation, uh, Nashville hit the home run pass for a breakaway uh, behind Nurse. And the play wound up getting stifled. But I, I just thought situational awareness there, when you got a 3-1 lead, 
allowing a forward to get behind you into open ice is uh, not no, good. I, so I agree. You know that pair is, as we know, and we've talked about <laughs> many times. It usually faces the opposition's best, and frankly, yep. I think Nurse and CC get the credit that they deserve for doing I agree with you. night in and night out. But this night, they decidedly lost that battle. Just looking mm -hmm. at, at uh, natural stat trick, scoring yep. chances for and against five on five. The guys, uh, CC was five and seventeen, and Darnell was six and seventeen. So their findings pretty much yeah. mirror yours, Bruce. Yeah, and what they have for uh, for. Uh, for, for they have high danger, which it comes closest to mimicking our grade A's. Which was two it's, five for Darnell. Two and five, yeah. CC yeah. was also two and five. Yeah, CC he got he doesn't get a lot of love, and you know I I I, I wish I had a dollar every time I heard or read somebody saying we need to upgrade on Cody CC. Yeah. And I keep watching Cody CC in in games and what I keep seeing is him basically losing all races to the puck or sawing them off at best, but him sawing off the actual battle for mm -hmm. the puck, uh, him blocking shots and him clearing loose pucks from the slot, which he's really good at is yep. getting pucks out of danger into less danger. And it's not sexy. You know, Peter Shirelli would love this player, yeah. but, uh, you know, as a, uh, for what they paid for him and how, uh, the circumstance on which they got him, which was sort of short notice loss of Adam Larson. Good luck yeah. replacing that guy. Well, I, I think they did a you know not terrible job of replacing that guy. He's not well, the same greasy player, but in terms of effectiveness. Oh, for sure. Uh, in my nine things, my last nine things column, I wrote a paragraph on Cody Cece and I compared him to the other 10 NHL defensemen who make at or around the same salary. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and took a look at their fancy stats and their mm -hmm. plus minus and all that sort of stuff. I mm -hmm. wouldn't take any of the 10 over Cody Cece. And I, in a, in a salary cap era, I think not only do you have to understand, you know, what Cece faces night in and night out in terms of quality of competition, but when you look at what you're paying, you can't have all your D-men to be, you know, six and seven million, in some cases, nine million dollar players. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need a three million dollar guy who can do more or less the same job. And for my money, Cody Cece very quietly does that most nights. Yeah, yeah. And they, uh, I noticed that the guy Edmonton had uh, on a similar uh, long term contract, uh, Tyson Berry, that they traded to Nashville, was a healthy scratch in this game and not for the first time. Yeah. When's the last time the Oilers even considered healthy scratching Cody Cece? I think never. Uh, just again, <laughs> and I and I have all the time in the world for for uh, for Tyson Berry. Really, I do too. I do but, too. I, I like his but, aspects of his game, and I like the man. But yeah, carry me too. On. But what a trade! Eh? <laughs> what a trade! Yeah, yeah, that uh, definitely tipped the needle in Edmonton's favor. And uh, Bob Stoffer had a tweet about all of the stats that Ekholm's put up since he's been here, and it's just just phenomenal. Plus so, 41 or something since he arrived? Plus 43, and now today, plus 44. And if you're just counting five-on-five five goals, uh, he's plus 33, like 30, mm -hmm. 30, what was it? Yeah. I'll take anyway, that. Yeah. 60, not well now 70 to 37.
So, you know, almost a two to one, over 65% of the goals scored when he was been on the ice have been going in the good net. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, all right, uh, let's move on to numbers. And uh, again, you go first. Okay. I will pick Leon Dreisaitl, who, uh, with his power play goal tonight, uh, the patented one-timer worked to perfection. Um, He hit NHL regular season career point number 800. Um, Nice. I remember the day that Leon Dreisaitl was drafted by the Edmonton Mm -hmm. Oilers. And and I remember saying publicly at the time, you know, for the first time since Mark Messier, this franchise has a chance to have a great, big, talented number one center. And I got a whole bunch of pushback on that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but all these games and 800 career points later, I think that has proven to be the case. He's not a mirror image of Mark Messier, although he brings some of the same things. To sure does. Yeah. Um, and, and when you listen to the company he is in all-time franchise, um, of course, Wayne Gretzky at uh, 1669, Yari Curry at 1,043, the aforementioned Messier at 1,034, Connor 915 after tonight, Len Anderson at 906, and Leon at 801. Uh, here's where I point out that of those six men, four of them are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. The other two are headed in that direction, Kurt. You got to believe. Very so. confident, both of those guys will wind up in the hall. I mean, McDavid, you know, has already uh, done enough to get there, and Drysaddle, you can only assume he's going to keep playing and and adding to his, you know, to his career totals, and they're yeah, they're already those, pretty impressive, and it's already got a seasons, right? It's you know, Hart Trophy, Art Ross Trophy, led the league in assists one year. Uh, you know, he's, he's, um, uh, done an immense amount. And the Messier comparisons are, are coming a little bit more into focus in the, in the sense that, uh, like Messi can play center or wing. Uh, he's big, he's very strong in the face-off circle. Uh, he's got a mean stick, heavy, hard stick. He doesn't use the elbows to the degree Messier, and he's, he isn't that as filthy as Messier could be at times, but he's pretty darn hard on. Uh, oh, like, yeah. And, and he's, he can be pretty filthy. Like, he uses that stick a lot, and uh, it's got to be the heaviest stick in the league. That's not oh. a goalie stick. Yeah, yeah. Both, <laughs> men, both men protected the puck exceptionally well. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, both have great leadership qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, both men, Leon doesn't do quite as much of it as he had, but both men were, were, were good penalty killers. You know? So, yeah, there's, there's lots of comparisons to be made there. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, congrats to Leon for his 800th career point in 10 seasons. I mean, that's 80 points a season, just that first blush. And that doesn't count time missed to injury, two COVID shortened seasons. The fact this season's only uh, basically half over the fact that his first season, he only played half the year before he got sent back. And, you know, so we've got a number of hundred point seasons and it looks like he may well be on route to another one. And how many different head coaches? <laughs> <laughs> a few. Right. A few. 
So, okay, well, my number is is five, or actually not five. And not five is the number of goals that Edmonton has scored in their last 10 straight wins. They haven't mm. scored five goals in a single one of those games. Last time they got five was the 5-2 win over Philadelphia back on January 2nd, first game of the month. And since then, here are the scores of their game. Listen to the goals for, well, both. The goals for totals are not like off the charts. They're just pretty consistent multiple goals. 3-1, 2-1, 3-2 in overtime, 2-1 in overtime, 4-2, thing, 4-1, 3-0, and 4-1. Oh. <laughs> like it's staggeringly consistent game after game. I just get three or four. The other guys get one or two. It's the P.K. Sudan's Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, they're they're a two-man team that can't defend very well, obviously. So, anyway, yeah. That, so, the, like I thought, if you ever thought they're going to get a big winning streak, there's going to be a few games in there where they just, you know, the puck's going in the net for them. They put six or seven on the board, no problem. It hasn't happened once in the last ten games. The earlier in the streak, there was a seven-two win at Anaheim and six-three win at Jersey that started the streak. And otherwise, it's been low-scoring games at uh, both ends of the ice. You know, the orders get a few, and the other guys get hardly any. And over and over, it's it's stunning to me that they've been had. You know, there wasn't like one five-four game in there or something. You know, it just hasn't happened like that. You have to think at some point they're going to bust loose, bust loose though, don't you? Uh, well, I keep thinking that. I thought maybe Chicago would be the game, you know, and you and me both. Yeah, and so they had to work hard deep into the third period to to get to three against Chicago, and even the third one was an empty netter, you know. But yeah. Anyway, and lately they have got a few empty netters after not having any for most of the streak, but they got one against Toronto, the Evan Bouchard curling draw to the Right. That <laughs> finally, they because yeah, they were having all hell of a time trying to put the puck into the you know? open cage, but they got one against uh, Calgary. Uh, they got one against uh, uh, Chicago, and now they got one against Nashville. So that's four in the last six games that they put away. And even still, none of those goals was their fifth goal of the game. If you're, is it the Japanese village goal late that you get for? Yeah. So. You know, Reed Village, has village hasn't been giving away free food, and the have been winning anyway. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one. So let's move on to a conundrum, and I'm I'm hard hard uh, pressed to pick a conundrum. Uh, so maybe let's do it this way: the team has got eight days off. They're going to uh, go to the four wins. I mean, Connor and Leon are going to go to Toronto and get a a skate. Let's call mm-hmm. it that, and. Um, the rest of the team is going to be off the ice for a number of days. And when they come back, uh, they go right into the lion's den in Vegas uh, on February the 6th. And if you're, you're Chris Knobloch, here's your dilemma. What do you do? What do you, do you do something that's different? Do you just come back and try and recreate things the same way they are? I mean, that that's, the, how do you get your team ready for the first period of that first game back against a, a hated rival yeah. with an all-time NHL record at stake? Yeah, no, it's a great question. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, so let me think about this for a quick second. Um, um, but the first thing I, I think he, I predict he will do is I think he'll put Dreisaitl back uh, in on the second line mm-hmm. in between um, in between Kane and Fogel. I, I, and I think he'll bump Nuge back up with, with Connor. Uh, I, I think having Leon and Nuge on separate lines against Vegas is probably a, a good way to go. I have a hard time imagining him doing anything but playing Stuart Skinner after all. Yeah, that time. 100%. Um, we haven't talked about it tonight, but uh, Corey Perry certainly seemed like a good fit with those two young kids on the third line. I thought they were really, really hard in the forecheck and made things happen out there tonight. So that mm-hmm. that seems to at least initially be a good landing spot for him. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, Chris Knobloch's M.O., has been to not make big changes for little reasons. Right. Uh, and so I suspect we won't see much in the way of a change, mm-hmm. uh, just because that's what we've seen from him so far. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> he's got a spectacular record doing that. So why yeah. would he change now? So that, that would be my read, I guess. Just play the players with with the guys they're most familiar with. Yeah, don't dance, be giving them that. That, you, that uh, brought brought you to the hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's that's probably a fair conclusion, and maybe not that much of a conundrum. I will comment on Corey Perry since it was his first game today. Uh, a couple of plays particularly caught my eye. The one was the back pass he made from behind the net, where he came along the end boards and did the. The behind the back pass right out to Dylan Holloway, who was in the right place, but his stick wasn't. His stick had been on the ice. That, that might have been a tap. And as it was, he just got a piece of the puck and then went to Brian McLeod and he fired two shots in succession that were tough stops. And the other one was in the defensive zone with four or five minutes left in Vegas pressing hard. And there was a play where... Uh, the rebound came off to the right wing side and he was down low in the face-off circle and he beat the Vegas guy to the puck, uh, chipped it sideways off the boards, uh, went over there and collected and just very calmly lifted it up the up the glass and out of the zone. And I thought there's a guy who looks every bit the 38-year-old, 21-year NHL veteran that just has, you know, the... Uh, I guess he's a 19-year NHL veteran, but it's 21 years since he was drafted. But he 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 showed uh, you know real good good uh, awareness and uh, and and calmness under and was under fire like they were or Nashville as we've said repeatedly here they kept bringing it yeah and uh, even after Edmonton made it three nothing they never they never sort of mailed in the rest of the game they kept bringing it hard. Yeah, a few more observations for me on Corey Perry. One mm-hmm. was reverse hits in the Nashville zone, mm-hmm. which, which which I thought, oh yeah, that's right. This is a big, strong guy. Oh yeah, and, six and three, two oh eight. Yeah. Yeah, right. And his first shift on the ice is the one where he knifed right into the goaltender in the crease, which I thought, two okay, seconds. <laughs> we've seen that before. <laughs> Yeah, I think literally it was like two. They had an offensive zone draw, and the puck went into the crease, and Corey Perry went into the crease, and and uh, the goalie wound up going down, and Perry wound up getting pushed out, and you know there was this sort of general scrummage and chaos, and yeah. that's what he brings. 
Well, and the whole Corey Perry and Perry villain thing, you know, Edmonton's, I already sung Edmonton's fans' praises for one thing. I'll say this as well. I don't know if you picked this up. During the anthem, when they put Corey Perry on, on the Jumbotron on the anthem, mm-hmm. everybody started to applaud. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. How, well, how quickly they forget. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the new guy. You're one of us now. And we'll love you until you make one mistake and then look out. But okay, we got the first ones free. <laughs> yeah. But I thought as a debut, he, he didn't look like a guy who had been sitting out for that long, honestly. No, two no, months. I thought he fit in nicely. So. Yeah, because his last game was in November, right yeah. at the tail end of November. But that's yeah. that's months. a long time for any player, whether you're injured or whatever the reason. Yeah. And he... Uh, he looked all right, and yep. and just that a little bit more depth and a little bit more, you know, size and uh, and uh, heaviness. Well, you know, the uh, I I pointed out earlier that when you looked at shifts, uh, Edmonton's third and fourth lines, their third line, their CF is fifty six five on five, and their fourth line was 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 just a shade below that. Um, that's what depth will do for you, right? You know, yeah. good players. When you add yeah. good players, other good players did get get pushed further mm-hmm. down the lineup. Yeah, yeah, and they've got. I think right now you could say they got 13 NHL forwards and certainly six NHL caliber defensemen. Yep. And the seventh is is uh, in flux. But the seven, uh, let's face it, the seventh guy, the first injury replacement is, in fact, Philip uh, Philip Broberg, even though he's sure. not here. Yeah. And, oh, man, Bruce Kurlock posted a video of a play he made last night where he was standing still in the offensive zone and the other guy was breaking towards the puck and was closer to the puck. And Broberg came over from the left point to the right point to get the puck uh, do a tight circle where he kept the puck on the blue line but didn't let it go out and then came out loose on the left side and made a real nice pass in that wound up being assist on a Bakersfield goal. And it was just, just you know, the raw athleticism on this play was just sweet to watch. And, you know, I don't care what league, that was a, yeah. you see that, and you, it's easily translatable to this is skill that will work in the NHL or any level. Well, for all of the criticisms of Philip Broberg and his career so far, and many of them have been fair, he can mm-hmm. flat out skate. Um, <laughs> and not just oh. speed, but his agility is yeah. excellent. And yeah. any player that can skate that well, you'll almost have to play yourself out of an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. well, that's what he showed on that play. And I mean, whether he's played his way out of an opportunity or whether he's just been brick-walled out of it by, you know, veteran players and, and older older men and um, that uh, stay healthy, you know, yeah. like two years Somebody, in a row, yeah. he's been stuck at number seven because the, yeah. the uh, guys above him have, uh, have uh, basically been a fixtures in the lineup. Look at the 120 game run of this team with lack of injuries on their blue line. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. That like, yeah. that's, that won't keep going, knock on wood. Well, you wouldn't think, yeah. Anyway, that's, I'm shocked that Broberg didn't get somewhere in there uh, 10, 15 game run, you know, as a regular in the top six. Yep. And the closest he came to it was when they had three lefties and four righties, and he played third pairing with Evan Bouchard for a while. Yep. Played well, yep. 
Uh, but then they made the Ekholm trade, and all of a sudden he was back to being four left E again, and he's still there. And those yep. guys just, you know, play, you know, their horses, Nurse and, and Ekholm particularly, but Kulak as well in terms of being an every-game fixture. Yep, yep. Well, 16 feels good. Yes, sir, it sure does. On we go. But in the meantime, we'll have a have a big break. I am suggest we'll have probably... Uh, Cult of Hockey podcast during that break, and maybe uh, Kurt, if you're available, we can do one of those three-headed monster yeah, podcasts where we can sort of share our opinions on the bigger picture as opposed to zeroing in on the single game at a time as we typically do in our post game. That'd be great because it's more or less the halfway point anyway. Just yes. Eight pass. So yeah, that'd be yeah. A, that'd be a hoot. I'd love that. You know. All right. Well, we will uh, leave that as a future promise to uh, our regular listeners and uh, watchers and thank you for listening and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast and thank you again kurt